0: You are now listening to the Claim It podcast with me, your host, Trisha Huffman, your joyologist. On this podcast, I have conversations with people who intrigue and inspire me. We get into the journey of their lives, my life comes up too, the ups, the downs, how they have gotten to where they are, and how they get through life in the now. Because I believe that our feelings of worth, of enoughness, of success, of being loved, are not out there somewhere. Once I have this, I will feel that. Nope, you'll just keep chasing it. And that is why it's up to us to claim it every single day, to claim your worth, to claim your value, to claim your enoughness, to claim your joy. On today's episode, we have Biet Simkin. She is a very interesting individual. She's an artist, a spiritual teacher, and author and is known as the David Bowie of meditation. Uh, she has a very interesting story that started uh, even in the womb. At con- actually, her conception is an interesting story. <laughs> the intention of her conception, <laughs> which you will learn about. She is a very unique, a real person. I love her. She's very talented. She's working on more music right now, and we actually have a little bit of her music to weave into this episode, which is a delight. So here we go. Enjoy the episode and her music. So, with you, I'd love to start, I guess, at the very beginning, because what I've heard or read or seen is that you... Were taught or started
1: to meditate at a very young age. Is that right? It's true. Yeah. My father was this Mr. Miyagi type. So I kind of, you know, I, I was meditating with him from the time that I was a little baby. And what, yeah. And I read your father is a shaman. He, was, he wouldn't have called himself a shaman. Okay. I call him a shaman because it's like the easiest way to describe Because I was going to ask,
0: what does even shaman mean? Yeah. So yeah, how would you describe that? Or what did that look like? What was he up to in the world?
1: He, uh, he cured himself of tuberculosis in the woods of Russia with a secret shaman okay. and learned in the woods of Russia, he learned Ayurveda, Hatha yoga. And discovered the Torah, which he had been like, he had no idea that he was a Jew or what it meant to be Jewish at that time. He was a Marxist atheist at that time. And he kind of gave himself tuberculosis with all the anger and rage. He used to like hit my brother and he yelled and he was a jazz musician. He smoked cigarettes all day. Like this was a different person than the man that I grew up with. Right. And then he had this awakening in the woods while curing himself of tuberculosis. Realized how old was he at that point? He was like 39. But that was before...
0: You were around? Yeah, I wasn't okay. even
1: like an idea. And Got then it. once he had that awakening, he kind of came to my mom and said, why don't we have sex and like create an intentional baby that is born into freedom in America? And we move to America. And, wow. and my mom was like, let me think that through. And because my mom was a very thoughtful person. And I guess she took like six hours and then came back to him and was like, cool, I'm into this idea. So I make up a- they're living in Russia at oh, the time. Yeah. Yeah, which was they are Leningrad. Russian. Yeah, I'm Russian. Like, I'm first generation. I was born a month after they immigrated.
0: You were born a month after they immigrated. So they came here when she, she was, was like... She was like fully
1: prego. Wow. Yeah, I went through Italy, lived in Rome for two months in my mom's belly. And then they, they made it over here. And like, uh, this organization that shipped them here selected New York as our home. So we ended up in Queens.
0: And so then when that, when you're emigrating... And so someone helped an organization help them. Do they start like, do they have anything when they arrived? Were they like, how do
1: they work? How do what does that look like? No, no, there was like government cheese coming in. It was like, no, we, d- we didn't have anything. There was government cheese, though. There was that. I remember like the wooden <laughs> blocks or like, you know, there was like these cardboard boxes that would come in with like powdered milk and it was like American cheese slices, but they weren't sliced. You had to like slice yeah. it yourself.
0: OK, so <laughs> your father has this experience. They yeah. come to America. You're getting government cheese. Mm-hmm. What, but what is he then? He just then if he's teaching you to meditate at a very young age, even though they're probably going through a very challenging time. Of yeah. OK, we just emigrated to a country. Do they even speak
1: English? My mom spoke six languages, but my dad did not speak English. He had to learn it in the States. So what did he do in the States? Uh, He became, uh, he started working in a mental institution, like as a a warden or whatever, you know, like at night. He had like a night shift at a mental institution. My dad liked to keep it interesting, you know, he wasn't like messing around. And then he started his own private practice as a psychotherapist and healer. And then that business really did take off. He became kind of famous in the Russian community in, wow. in New York. And and it was kind of like, uh, it all seemed like it was going good places. Um, I think that his dream with my mom was to create an ashram. She was getting trained as a massage therapist. She became a professional Swedish massage therapist. She was like a Jack LaLanne in- fitness instructor at the time. Which is just so weird to imagine my mother doing those like aerobic moves. But she was doing that. And then and then out of nowhere, she got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and died.
0: How old were you when she died?
1: I was six. Six.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah. And my brother was 13. So there was. okay. So when you guys moved here, you had an older brother. I have an older brother. Okay. Yeah. He and I were not the the first child. He just had this intention of. We are now going to come together to make an intentional child in America. I am Freedom Baby, yes. My brother is not
1: Freedom Baby. But my brother got to come over and become Freedom Child. But he wasn't, like, born free. He was born into anti-Semitism. He was born into, you know, being thrown down steps by anti-Semitic Russian kids and, like, almost murdered. He was forced to eat his own vomit in kindergarten. Like, he was—he had a really rough childhood. So what was life like after your mother passed away and how did your
0: father, do you remember how your father then handled that and what then childhood looked like for you? Yeah. Because he seems like if he's running this psycho, what did you call it? He was a uh, psychotherapist. Psychotherapist. He's very like freedom. He seems very Mm. connected and stuff. And then the pain I'm guessing of losing your mother, that could go either way could make him even more committed to growth and healing people or could really take you off track right mm-hmm.
1: yeah no he definitely didn't waver in his healing yeah of other people he continued to save lives and you know he had this transformative effect on people and hundreds of people he had this incredible practice and he was also a very eccentric man. He played the saxophone. He wore robes. He drank a lot of vodka. He was a womanizer. And as soon as my mom passed away, there was a new girlfriend like two weeks later, and oh. she was 26 years old. So it was total fucking mayhem. It was, you know, to, I worshiped my father. So it really wasn't until very recently that I admitted that he was a womanizer. I think I mm. felt like if I admitted that he was a womanizer, I would stop loving him. Right. And what I realized through letting myself admit that was I love him even more. Like, you don't, people aren't like lovable or not lovable because they're perfect. They're lovable because they're lovable. And like being a womanizer or like the bazillion other flaws that humans could embody doesn't stop us from being, you know, children of the divine and manifestations of infinity, you know, and he, he had so much good about him. He was just like a walking. I mean, it was like Eckhart Tolle. It was like having someone in your living room who understood the meaning of existence, who didn't question things in the same way, didn't see the world in the same way, and he was so filled with love. You know, like we were broke as fuck. We had no money, but I always felt, you know, rich in other ways. Like I just felt so loved, and I don't I don't think everyone gets that. I think a lot of people don't get
0: that. Yeah. I I mean, my parents tried real hard, but they weren't raised from that place. And my mom especially wasn't raised from a place of expressing love. So my father even told me later in life that like, yeah, we didn't tell you that we loved you or hugged you because like that wasn't how it was done with my mom, with wow. your mom's family. So like, I don't remember, like, wow. I still have a hard time now hugging my mom Wow. and she now like there was it came when I was starting to get into junior high. I feel like we all of a sudden she was like ready to start hugging me and it reached me out and it still is like really hard for me I love I hug strangers oh good well that's good but I can't I have a hard time hugging my mom Mm. (laughs) and like but like yeah I mean but they were working hard like they were like we have to work hard to provide you things to give you things and Mm. that so I I really don't think I've felt loved growing up and I have a lot of like that's where a lot of my like pain and issues and stuff still comes from but knowing now Of course, they love me. And I think I always knew they love me, but Mm. not I actually didn't feel it. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It makes a difference. We get the dose we need for sure.
0: Yeah. Anyway, so what then so you're saying you grew up feeling a lot of love and then living with this man that like saw the world differently. Like what was that experience for you as you were getting older then and being in school and being with other kids and stuff like Mm. that. And then like having Mm. this, you know, what did that feel like? Did you have this sense of grounding or like, could you come to him with this thing and he'd be able to like shift your perspective on things? Like, do you, did you realize that this was different? He was different and like what you had access to?
1: Yeah, I knew he was different, but I was kind of a dick, you know, because as a child, (laughs) like I didn't know, I just thought everyone in school was an idiot and I felt very alone. I went to a really, you know mediocre slash terrible public school mm. um and the education was subpar to even to say the least, but then I also didn't give a fuck like i I don't like school, didn't like school, I don't like waking up early, didn't like waking up early so I, and because my mom died, and everyone else my all my grandparents died, and it all happened like within a few years. Like, my grandmother died two weeks after my mom died. And these were the people who were raising me. They watched me every single day. So it wasn't like, oh, grandma in Florida, like, passed away. And you're like, I don't know that person. No, this is like, these are the people who watched me night and day. And then they were dead. Did they emigrate with you? Yeah, everyone immigrated together. And then
0: they started to die.
1: And they were young. They were like 67, 71. And so it was just, like, all very tragic. But at the same time, like, um... You know, I'm an artist. And so my father's way of thinking, you know, I was very similar to him. And I think he saw that about me. So we were very close. And I felt like completely not alone in that way. I felt like I and I had these interesting people that would waft through my life. Like when I was nine, I became best friends with this woman who was like 12 years my senior But she had just tried to commit suicide in a mental institution and was a patient of my father's, had a shaved head and bandages on her wrists and was playing, you know, Johann Sebastian Bach on the grand piano in my living room when I met her. Like my life was just nuts. Like to be a nine-year-old with a 21-year-old best friend, that's weird. I'm not, you know, like I'm not the average kid. And so I, I hated everyone. And I was, again, like I was kind of a dick. I didn't know how to get along with my peers. Got it. So instead of like,
0: other people that feel different and other in school and hate it, even though you had that, you had your people yeah. at home. And so you were kind of just like, What why the fuck do I have to be here with you idiots? Or like right. sort
1: of thing. But, like, it, but at you the had same time people. I was very vain. And so like I was also very popular. Like, I, I care deeply about being liked by these morons, even though I thought they were morons. So it was a oh, very conflicted Oh, okay. So you
0: were, like, not just totally out of the scene and, like, let me find people here. Like No, no I was, okay. like, Winona
1: Ryder in Beetlejuice. Like, I was, like, the popular suicidal girl, you know? Like, I was, like, my hair was all, like, tasseled and I wore, like, Metallica t-shirts. And I walked around acting like like I was better than everyone. That was the persona that I had on at that time. Yeah, yeah. Funny. <laughs> <laughs> but really, I was just super depressed. You know, I was just super alone and super depressed. And um, and I had this thing that, I, you know, in the work that I teach is called solar, which means that like my soul hadn't fully gone back to sleep. It was awake just enough so that I could remember the meaning of life, not on like a psychological level, but on a visceral level. Like I was one with this infinite thing. And so... You know, when you know that that thing is real, it's like everything else in your life, the purpose of your life becomes about being connected to that thing. So I think that's kind of where the depression comes from, because you're like, why I live in a world where that's not what people are doing. You know, that's So you're speaking to on. like
0: when that comes alive, your soul. So meaning like you felt you had this connection to your soul and you knew it, but maybe you didn't know what it was or like. Trying to describe that to people that can't visualize what you're saying.
1: I didn't know anything. I just knew that I was in pain because I could feel like something was missing. Okay. And everyone around me seemed to act as though nothing was missing.
0: Got and it. And so
1: I, except for my father who knew about the thing that was missing and then this crazy lady who knew that something was missing. And so like I started to collect people who knew that something was missing. It was almost like I was like the for Vendetta in that like film with Natalie Portman where like she's going through the dark and like finding people who can help her with her mission. Like I just was like, You seem to know what's going on. Like, oh, you too. Like, you know that something's off about this whole
0: thing, this whole But then you're seeing, right, so many people moving through life that don't seem to have any Access idea of feeling about it.
1: Well, it seemed like they were just kind of groovy. Like yeah. everything was fine, and I was like, "Do you not? I don't get it. Like you're you're not seeing the the crack in all of this. There's a crack in in this. So what happened? So do you went. Do you graduate high school? Um. Yeah, I found this like alternative high school that was for like people who hated high school, and it was like eighty of us, and it was all it was wow. really politically correct. It was run by this couple who fought in the civil rights movement and so like the school was like 80 students half black half white half gay half straight and there was like beanbag chairs and the staff was half white and half black (laughs) and half gay and half straight and it was just so um it was immersive and it was very new york city and it was free somehow i don't know how they just got really massive funding and like so it felt very good. And I was able to graduate high school in under those circumstances. I was like, this is weird enough for me to, to make it through high school. And at this
0: time, is your father's like still like his work in business
1: blossoming? Yeah, my dad was doing well. And um, he was on his like sixth girlfriend. And um, yeah, just the usual. Yeah.
0: And so then what happens after high school?
1: I got signed to Sony, uh, so I went to college for like one semester and basically had sex and drank Jack Daniels for most of it. I didn't really. I remember my poetry teacher, Sekou Sundiata. He's passed away since then. Otherwise, I would say hello, Sekou, um, who I loved very much. He was this incredible poetry teacher. He had like traveled across the country with Jack Kerouac and he was this incredible wow. man with like a great spirit. And I remember when I was like, I don't remember if I was leaving school or if I was just getting my report card or something. But he turned to me and he was like, you suck at this. (laughs) And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, you really, you suck at school. He was like, you're the worst student ever. I really, I really don't know what to tell you. I have to give you like a C because I just think you're kind of a genius, but you really deserve an F. And he was like, You're gonna make it though. He's like, You're one of those. Yeah. He's like, I see you through and through. He was like, The chances of you surviving this college for like another few weeks is unlikely, but you're gonna fucking make it. He's like, There's something in you. I see it. He was like, You're like Ani. Well, he had, I guess, taught Ani DeFranco and this other guy, Mike Doty, who's the singer of Soul Coughing. And he was like, You're like Mike Doty and Ani DeFranco. Like, you 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 just suck at school, but you're really really special.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. What did that feel like to hear that from him I mean, Oh, it felt so good. Did that feel good. like
1: okay, I can
0: not go to school or were you already like feeling that way? I
1: got I really d- all I wanted was to have sex and drink Jack Daniel's. So like that wasn't being offered at the curriculum at Eugene Lang, so I figured, you know what? Fuck it. Uh I got signed to Sony and I was like this is my big win. Like I'm just done. I'm and I left in a flash, you know, kind of like, yeah. I've been signed and I'm
0: done. So then was music a big part of your life for a long time?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Music is my life. It's been my life since I was born.
0: So that's so while you're in school, in high school and all that stuff. Where is oh, that? Yeah. I was playing sing-
1: CBGBs and like, oh, yeah. And that are you, you are a
0: singer. Were you playing an instrument? Are you forming bands and I'm the lead singer like what was that then like to like getting into I am a musician I am a singer I am an artist whatever
1: that came very naturally to me it never occurred to me that I could be anything else actually the fact that I'm now like an author and a spiritual teacher that's much more surprising I really thought that there was going to be a pretty straight line that I was going to be you know Patti Smith or Madonna like that kind of thing like it never occurred to me that anything else was on the table for me were you always singing and writing songs? Or, yeah. And was your
0: father encouraging that?
1: Oh, yeah. For sure. Yeah. Everyone was. But no one was like, let's take her to... You know what I mean? Like, get her a man. Like, right. my family they're was just very. Like, oh
0: yeah, of course. Good, job. Good for you. Good job. Yeah. And like, oh, you got another gig or whatever. Great. Good job. Whatever. Yeah. No but one was not like, like, let's, let's yeah. get
1: business minded and see yeah. how out. Per- I didn't have like Michael career. Jackson's dad who was just like, we oh we're gonna turn this thing into a cash cow. You like- have talent. Let's <laughs> <do this. laughs> like it was more just like cool. When we're done drinking vodka, you can sing us a song. And I'm like, cool.
0: You know. So you were then always like, I, this is it, I'm going to be a singer. Yeah. And you got signed. I did. Then what was that process like?
1: It was just, you know, the usual, I think it was like, I recorded a record and then they like toured me around in limos and paid for all my stuff and took me shopping. And it was like very fancy and glitzy. And what
0: was your, back then, what was your like type of music or... It was like Cat Power meets Sarah McLachlan or something. And was it you tied individually or did you have a band?
1: I had a band, but then like the band broke up or something. There was just like a lot of movies. But it was signed under your name? Yeah. Got it. So then like...
0: it. What did that feel like? Like, is this like, this is happening? Yeah, it felt like it was happening. (laughs) I am the next whatever. Whatever. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but I wasn't the next whatever. I really wasn't. And so (laughs) I think that what was was happening was I was like, I wasn't ready. I didn't have the vessel to withstand what was actually coming to me. So I had these opportunities. I had a lot of talent, but I didn't have the machine to and the being to hold that much pain and to hold that much visibility, to hold that much vulnerability. It's so I didn't have all that. At that time, I needed to do much more work. I was really an alcoholic, and so I was just medicating myself to make it through. I was so as an alcoholic, I was also extremely charming and very, you know, uh resourceful, all those things. But when it came down to it, as an alcoholic, I cared much more about being high, having sex, and looking good than I cared about actually following through with any of my actual results. And so my career you know, suffered because of that, that just not how life and business and reality function, you, then one must show up for those things on a three-dimensional level.
0: Yeah. What, um, did you start drinking at a young age?
1: No, like, I was like 20.
0: Oh. Yeah. So you just, and then what do you think is that, because there's everybody has different views, of course, on alcoholism or being alcoholic and stuff like that. Do you feel like, it's something in your body or no, I was using it to escape from this or Mm. what do you think? Especially at 20, I was making up since you were saying your father like vodka that it was like, oh, oh you yeah. started like drinking young with him and it was just like normal to you or something. Mm. But you didn't even start drinking until you're 20.
1: Yeah, no, because I was too busy being like this aloof <laughs> yogi or something with my father. And I believed that I was too good for drinking. I just suffered a lot. I was in a lot of suffering and anguish and artistry around that. Like I just thought my suffering was some kind of big chalice that I like I was like oh this is mine and I would write poetry and write Mm. songs and I felt very um like the suffering
0: really served you yeah I was proud of my suffering and
1: then when I was 20 my girlfriend Faye introduced me to gin and I was like oh one does not need to be in state of suffering so like you can just have it alleviated and I was really into that so I um so I just started drinking all the time and that's things Mm. got worse quickly I don't think for me it's not I don't believe in a that it's bodily I don't believe that I just believe that I was a really really broken human with a lot a lot of pain and I really wanted to escape pain I wanted um I was just yeah I wanted to lie anyone who's listening who like likes to lie to themselves I was like the queen of lying to myself and I just and alcohol helps you do that it really does yeah
0: Helps you like forget.
1: Well, you can have like five hours where you think you're like, Yeah, like like, you're like a Grammy award winner, you know? It's like, and then five hours later, you like wake up and you're like, What? Like, I was in an Irish pub in Queens, like nothing happened, you know? (laughs) But you were singing, you too, because it was on the jukebox. It's like, but you're still not Bono, you know?
0: (laughs) But in my mind. So then what happens? Like, does the alcohol end up taking like you're taking down your career or what happens next in your life? Like, how do you, how do you get from, I have this record contract to spiritual. <laughs> right now. That that was a bit or, of a journey. Yeah. I was like, I'm sure there's a lot more things that yeah. come, come, come into play there.
1: Um, and also the, was there,
0: did you, do people, people probably can't tell that you're alcoholic. They just think, you, when would they not back be then? To? Um, yeah, I think
1: most I mean, like, what did know. your
0: father, like, too, was he just still like, oh, good for you. Yeah. Biet, Everyone thought everything? I was doing great. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So then do you hit a, like, downfall with that or? Yeah, it took some time. I, I was a slow burn, but I just, I drank and drank and drank and kind of wasted my life away drinking. And then eventually I discovered drugs and drugs were way better than alcohol. By My standards, and so I was like, I had arrived and I had quite a bit of fun when I first discovered cocaine and heroin. It was like really, really a good time in my life. I felt very attuned to the truth of reality, and mm. I felt very plugged into people who also knew the truth. Again, I, this is so always what I've like, been somewhat kind of felt for. like a
0: spiritual experience for when sure. You're high.
1: It felt like one. But the problem with this kind of spiritual experience is that there was no price paid. And so like the price was the price was being paid was that my life was systematically being destroyed. And so I didn't get because when you're doing drugs, you get all the goodies on the front end. And then you don't get a memo that like, by the way, the price of these goodies will be that your life is going to get destroyed. No one tells you that. And so you're just kind of like maybe surprised once your life gets destroyed. So there's this feeling of like you're, you've arrived, but then you don't get told that you're going to have all your shit taken from you. So basically what happened was I had a near-death experience where I was like hauled off to a hospital and had a, tum- a seven-pound tumor removed from my uterus. And that wasn't enough. I went and did heroin right after that. I had this like heroin addict boyfriend who was super hot. And it was so funny, too, because he's no longer a heroin addict, but he's like normal. And so, like, my friend who knew him back then when he was like, had his like leg up on the pool table and was like shooting up in a bar with us once. That guy, he like saw him jogging and in Park Slope and he was like, are you jogging? He was like, I didn't. What the fuck is going on? (laughs) So anyway, that guy and he got me into dope. He kept bringing heroin home to me. And I got addicted to it. And then time went on. And at this time, are you still signed? Are you making no, music? I am making music. Yes. I'm always making music. Always in a band. But you
0: were no longer on Sony. Or no, no, that, that fell apart. Did like, you release an album? No. No, okay.
1: It just fell apart. Got and it. I think in, in large part due to my alcoholism. And I had shaved my head and crossed the country and was like selling records out of my book bag and like falling in love in every state that I hit and just totally. You were random. on your
0: own uh, journey. I was on a journey.
1: <laughs> I was on, I was on like a wicked journey. And so then it just, things started to get really worse. Right. So I just want to be super clear like the voices were coming down from the space, which is a space we can't explain. And just being like, the gig is up. You have a, de- a destiny and you're not following it. And I just wasn't listening. But- I was very angry and I was very convinced that I had been harmed by life and if you had the, what I had if you had had it the way I had it you would understand right and so then I but got so you're,
0: so you're sort of like attached to like this no this is my destiny like look at all the things that have happened in my life or whatever so like of course I'm supposed to be here no like, I hurting just wanted and dr- drugs yeah. I
1: wanted drugs I didn't want my destiny I just wanted to keep doing drugs and I, my excuse was if you had it as bad right. as I had had it You'd need drugs. Too. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like,
0: not your destiny, but it's like you're making excuses like, yeah. of co- well, of course I'm here doing drugs. Exactly. Like,
1: <laughs> so then my, um, I got pregnant and I, um, I got sober to have the baby. Was it with the hair, the, the guy who was bringing you the heroin? Or this someone- was a new, new special friend okay. um, who was not the guy bringing me heroin, but also you know, just in that world of like music and party promotion and insanity. And he got me pregnant. And then we were like, okay, we're going to have this baby. And he was very maternal, very like kind, loving guy. You know, we weren't we weren't really even a couple. We were kind of like best friends with a baby. Got it. But but you together were having the baby. Yes. Yes. We were having the baby and we had the baby and she was born super healthy, beautiful girl. And then she died of sudden infant death syndrome four months later. So that was kind of like. I can't even imagine. Yeah, it's hard to. I can't imagine anyone with any
0: life circumstances dealing with a baby dying. It's not right.
1: I mean, it is. It's right, but it's not. It feels like it's not right when it's happening.
0: Yeah. And that's one of those things like, how do you. Oh, everything happens for a reason. Like, I'm sure you could put some sort of spin on that. but like. Well, but yeah, taking a baby's life away—like totally shocking.
1: So, so that was that. Was and at shock- that point, you had gotten sober. I, You're- it's Jenna. I got dry. I didn't get sober like sober, sober. I wasn't like praying and meditating. Right. I was just Me- like, got it, not drinking. Got it. You were no nail. longer doing heroin. But I was hoping that I could get started soon as possible you know oh, okay what I mean? like, so I that was still to... like the itch was like still in you yeah. like okay i had the baby like yeah like when now will she's it be out, okay like, like when like, can i Yeah. you're like calculating when it would be okay to do drugs again correct yeah i wasn't in a place where i wasn't in a healthy place at all so and then um i didn't hear it you know i left the funeral i got a bunch of heroin
0: immediately like from immediately, the funeral
1: immediately and i was like if you had it like i have it You would do drugs like I do drugs. And I kept Mm. doing drugs. And then like my house burnt down. And I lived in the part of the house that hadn't burned down for like four months doing heroin. Wow. And then one of my best friends hung himself. And and like (sighs) then finally my father died out of nowhere. And it was all within like two years. Oh my God. And this was all when I was like 28 years old. Like my dad died when I was 28. And so that was that. I think. Then kind of at that point, I was like, am I gonna, what do I do? You know, do I become like a high-end prostitute? Like, I just did not know. Right, and at that point, how are you even sustaining? Like, you know, my dad took, my dad was very poor, but he took care of me. So, like, he was like, we have nothing but, you know, whatever. And, like, he would, like, pay my rent. Got it. You know?
0: So you're, like, barely, like, getting, you're probably, like, not, like, doing much except for drugs. And then you're like, rent is or you're like just making it work.
1: Oh, yeah. I didn't work for, I was a DJ, which is like, it's a pretty well paid gig, but all the money I spent. all okay, the money so I spent. So you made went were being a DJ. So you yeah. did have some money yeah, coming in. But it went too drunk there. So yeah. I wasn't like, I wasn't like I was paying my rent. He but that's what rent. I'm like. How are you even like I paid for drugs. doing your drugs? <laughs> <laughs> DJing, yes. DJing was my main bread and butter at that time. And I'm good at DJing, obviously, because I'm a musician. Hello. <laughs> <gasps> okay so, so that was the beginning of the end the beginning of the beginning and i got sober a year later when i was 29
0: Psst. hey it's me trisha it's that time of year that we are often looking in what do we want are we supposed to set goals resolutions intentions pick a word for the year all of these many things and honestly whether you listen to this the first week of the year when the episode guy live or anytime, these are things we can ask ourselves all year long. And to support you in that, I've created a very doable, accessible, affordable 31 day email program called I Am Connected to Me. You just sign up for $33, and every day from the day you sign up, you get an email that has a different thing to explore in your life. To look at what even do I want in its physical items like one day's. Action item will be to go through your closet. And also, mental things, looking at your routines, looking at what brings you joy. So, every single day for 31 days, you can start at any time. You get an email prompt, a different thing to look at in your life to get you connected to you. What matters to you? What lights you up? What are you ready to let go of? So, many things will come up to help you see for yourself so you're not just setting some goals because it's a new year and I'm supposed to or whatever. To get you aligned, get you connected to you, go to yourjoyologistcom slash connected. There'll be a link right here, yourjoyologistcom slash connected. And let's get back to the episode. So, is that a year later after your dad passed away? So yeah. that was the final, like thing. Of it. And how, like, what was the final, like, thing that made you get sober? Was it you just like coming to terms? Was it an ultimate low? Was you just finally were
1: like, I have to listen to this, these mm. voices I'm hearing. I think I could just see my future and. I wanted so much. I wanted to be in a relationship with a man. I wanted to have a baby. I wanted to be gorgeous. I wanted to be healthy. I wanted to make lots of money. I wanted to be famous. I had a lot of aspirations and I just kind of did the math really and was like, I don't think that doing a bunch of heroin is like the pathway to those successes. You know, like it kind of Through the fourth way work that I now teach, I like did visioning of myself. I just divided my attention and saw who I really had become. And I was a waste. I was a waste of life. Like I was on my way to being 40, to being 50, and being like exactly where I was, which is like food stamps, Medicaid, poor, poor, and going to like dumb parties, drinking wine, and having sex with people 10 years younger than me. You know what I mean? But how
0: did you like? That's I'm saying. Like, what do you know? Can you even think of like what made you like start to be like? What am I doing? If I want these things, mm. I have to start doing the drugs and like the fourth way. What did you call yeah. it? Fourth way. Oh, divided attention. Attention. Like, was that something you learned from someone, or you created? Like, what got you to finally be like? Right, drugs need to stop those. <laughs> like, because it took you a while. <laughs> like what? The- <laughs> Do you know? I mean, and again, yeah. now, like looking back and that's what I know that sometimes we have these things yeah. in life that like come up and are just like, OK, and like, you know,
1: but yeah, I had someone in came into my life who was a spiritual teacher and she revealed to me some things that made it clear to me that I was actually lying to myself and I could see the lie for the first time. And then she, you know, she had her own ideas and her own like she was her own person, but she planted the seed for me. And there was something in that moment. I believe that she saved my life in that moment. I also believe that I created her. And I believe that if you're looking for a spiritual teacher in your life or if you're lost, everyone who hires me as their spiritual teacher, like I know for sure that they created me because I don't exist for those that don't need me. Right. I don't they don't need me, so I don't need to exist for them. Right. And is that even like somewhat
0: saying sort of The fact that you realize you need Mm. like a spiritual teacher and awakening or something is then like you're you're creating it for yourself like, oh, something is wrong here. I need to make a change here or like something like I'm ready to wake up. Like the fact that you are realizing I need a spiritual teacher. I am allowing this person or even the fact of if you weren't in the right place, you could have met that woman and she could have said the same thing and it wouldn't have stuck. Totally. (laughs) Because you weren't. In that space,
1: yeah, one hundred percent.
0: I don't know what I'm like.
1: <laughs> like, I don't know where I was going with that, but yeah, like, no, that's true.
0: Like, yeah, with what you were saying was very. What did you say again? How did you say that? With which the part this so, so the people that hire you as a oh, spiritual yeah. advisor, like you wouldn't exist to them if they I, didn't need you. Is that yeah, what you they. Said? Well,
1: I just feel like they create me. Like I don't exist. I only exist to the extent that I am being a space where someone is coming into existence. So whether that be through hiring me or whether it be through being one of my confidants or friends, like, I don't believe that anyone comes into my sphere that isn't in need of that space because I'm a space where shit happens. You're a space where shit happens. Mm (laughs) I love that. (sighs) All right.
0: So spiritual awakening. Yeah. You see. And then in that, like. When you're saying the, what, it, what did you call it again? The fourth, fourth Way. Fourth Way. Did you, is that where that
1: started, that creation for you? Were you able to see, like,
0: vision yourself?
1: I could see myself, like, you know, just see myself from above like it was a film about me. Then I could see what I really looked like, which was a junkie.
0: Yeah.
1: And then were you able to then see a different,
0: like, version of yourself? I a hope.
1: Yeah, I hoped that I could become the woman that I am now uh but i you know i didn't know for sure that that was what was going to happen but i had a i had an intuition i remember you know i found people who were sober before me and you know spoke highly of their experience and i pursued what they had pursued and what it showed me was i remember just being like i could be one of those people i could be one of those people that like says my life was a piece of shit and now it's not and that's exactly what happened so what did you then do
0: Got sober. I
1: got sober and like was just kind of reveling in the simplicity of that for a while. And during that time, I fell in love with my husband who, um, you know, kind of came into my life. You know, a lot of the work that I do is helping people to transmute things. So like I had never had a healthy relationship prior to that. I'd had relationships um, and they had healthy aspects to them, but they weren't sustainable. There was nothing sustainable about the peop- the way that I loved before. And in getting sober, I learned what love was and how to how to do it in a way that was sustainable. So I did that. And then I was still poor. And, you know, it's kind of fun because me and my husband have been together since then. So he's seen me like, you know, really poor and like just kind of. Were you
0: still DJing to make money? And you were able to
1: do that, stay committed, stay sober. I was still I was terrible at the job, though, because the job really requires you to like get down and dirty and like be with the people right and I was just so like what
0: the right and it's like is all this? into like yeah like the clubs are probably like dirty and dark and then
1: yeah it was the just, hours it's it oh suits yeah it's the life of <laughs> totally I'd work till like two three in the morning and yeah so that's how I was paying the bills I was DJing and then I had like odd jobs and then I was you know I was still making music I was always making music and I just was like I just had this wish and a dream that one day I would be this successful artist, but I just didn't know how to put the pieces together. And I also don't think I had the the correct confidence, not just in myself, but in like the divine. I had all these ideas about who was lucky and who wasn't lucky and Hmm. who gets to go and who doesn't get to go. And I had a lot of ideas and these ideas were really crippling. I think a lot of people can relate to that. Like they stifle their dreams. Totally, And so that was really where I was. And then eventually I was meditating and praying every day, asking the universe, like, what do you fucking want from me? (laughs) Like, you got me sober. What do you, what, what do you want me to do? Like, I'll do whatever you say. Just tell me, you know? And so one day the universe came down in one of my meditations and just said to me in plain English, like, hey, you know, like you're a spiritual teacher. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I know that can't you have the right person. No. Yeah, I really felt like they had the wrong person. I was like, I'm kind of like this rock and roll chick. And like I curse and I'm this little brunette girl. And I'm only like in my 30s or whatever. I was like 30 something at the time. And it can't be right. Like you usually, you know, like I would think of like a, a dude with a beard. I'd never even heard of like a female mm. spiritual teacher. Like even though I had read like some Marianne Williamson at the time, it never occurred to me that she. I didn't even think of her as a spiritual Hmm. teacher. I thought of her as like a chick who writes books, you know? Well, I wonder if that's because
0: growing up with your father, right? right? So then you like take, yeah, like, oh, he's spiritual teacher. So that's
1: what spiritual teachers are like. Yeah. Yeah. Over 60 with a beard (laughs) and male and sleeps with their students. That's spiritual teacher. So, So then I was like, okay, well, I'll do that. So I started. A career as a spiritual teacher, which uh, back then I didn't. call So myself I started a... as. <laughs> yeah, I was <laughs> like, "What? <laughs> Who does what? that?" But I so I I did a lot of crazy things. I I um I didn't even call myself a spiritual teacher back then. I was calling myself like a meditation guide or something. Mm-hmm. But I cold called hundreds of people and told them that I was doing that for a living now, and would they like to like do a session with me? And seven out of ten people did want to wow. do a session with and me. And was that. At
0: first, when you're cold calling, are you like, and it's going to cost this much or just like I'm doing this to get them a, hooked? I on didn't it? have
1: a price. I just told was, people they could pay whatever they wanted. Got it. And so and that was also very disconcerting for many people. But whatever. I was like, this is what, what I'm doing. Like, you can pay whatever you want. And they paid things and they came. And I just got a lot of experience doing but what wait, I do. So what did
0: that look like being a meditation guide?
1: I'm just really, I am what I am. So what I did was I, what I knew I was good at. I just trusted. Like I had 40 years of spiritual study. I had, read, I had read more books at that point than most people read in a lifetime on spiritual texts, the mystical resources of the Bible, of Sufism, of Judaism. Like I'd studied all these things in great lengths at that point. So what I and another thing that I did was in the past, people just came to me to unriddle their stuff, like that's kind of my gift. I have a completely different perspective on reality, and have always had that. And so, people would come to me, and then I would just do what I'm best at, which is that plus that, and and then guide them through meditation stuff, which is again, I'd studied my whole life with my father.
0: And when you say when you guide people through meditation, is that like a guided meditation where people are like, oh, okay, you close your eyes, and now imagine you're here and there, or are you teaching them? to meditate like cuz there's so many different ways and versions of meditation, right? Yeah. So what it and it was I'm guessing it's personal to each person yeah. and something, but like was it more like the guided like you're having them envision stuff mm. or just getting them
1: connected to themselves and trying to turn their minds off? It's a bit of both. Honestly, just being around me like in that particular context does something to people. Like it doesn't it's not translatable in the sense that if I take you to that place You hire me to take you to that place. I don't need to guide you through a guided meditation because what I do and who I am and who I become inside of that context changes the way that you see things, changes Mm -hmm. the way that you feel, and changes the complete context of the room in which we may be sitting. And sometimes my clients are global, so it'll be on the phone. I just have a way of infecting people with the consciousness that I have. So it's like, it's my consciousness and if you want some of it, then you got to spend time with me. It like rubs off on people. I'm like a wish Nick, like one of those like little trolls that you rub and then good things happen. It's like that. I'm like a weird well, and little I make up too.
0: Like if someone is saying, yes, I want to come to you to be guided in meditation. That also is like, again, what you were hinting at before. It's like if I am saying yes, yeah, guide me then I've already put myself in the space for transformation and change and consciousness to, to shift, right? Because I'm like saying I'm willing and open to it. Yeah. Is that, I'm not saying like not discrediting who you are, what you're doing, but it's like that that's even the big part of it is that like mm. someone is then stepping into, okay, I'm mm. trying this, right? The just even mm. the like being open to
1: it. I don't think so. <laughs> I, think, I think you could be really open to it and then you could meet someone who's really not a right teacher. And- right. The right teacher is someone who actually does real work. I actually had a really fucked up experience. I've been on a long journey with body dysmorphia and like eating stuff. Right. And really hard stuff for many, many years around my body and around eating. And I finally, like I, I, I surrendered where I was like, I'm willing to do anything. This has been many years now. This is one of the longest unravelings of my life. Like it wasn't like heroin I kicked in literally 48 hours by myself with nothing. Um, I have not been able to, like, scratch body dysmorphia slash eating, bad eating habits 100% on my own, right? So finally, this was four years ago or so, I decided I was going to find help. And I found this one teacher, and she was fucking nuts. Yeah, It ended up becoming one of the most abusive circumstances that almost led me into, uh, like, complete despair. But luckily... Because I have such a like a deep, long lived foundation. I mean, this woman was like trying to get me to like change my religion. Oh uh, Yeah. Yeah. And I, I don't I'm not even religious. So you can't how do you change religions for someone who's not religious? But she wanted me to become religious. And I was just like, you're telling me that if I become religious, I'll stop having body dysmorphia like they can't fucking possibly be the solution. I know there's people out yeah. there who fix this thing without, you know I'm really glad
0: that you <laughs> proved me wrong and what I was suggesting. at Because once <laughs> you started talking, I was like, oh yeah, of course. Because I again I get and if it was, if I was coming to someone that was special and I'm like, okay, I'm ready, right. I'm open. They then it is I've started it.
1: Too, like but I've so started,
0: much. but then I can imagine if I'm in a space of something I'm struggling with or okay, I'm gonna allow someone meditation, you know, someone into to me. Yeah. And you're vulnerable. And then, yeah, if somebody really isn't the right person for you or that isn't fully conscious and guiding it on some wrong or if they're attached to it being a certain thing or way that, yeah, that that could be really. Yeah. I don't fucked up. <laughs> I was trying to think of like the word, but like, yeah, you're yeah. right. So yes, with the right person, then just the willingness of showing up can create change. But yeah. that person could then be. And I think I've been like that with some people because I'm someone that's still, like no, I'm good. I got Like, I know my shit and I'll just, I know where to get it. Or like, I can sense who to trust or who to right. not. And I feel like in my life, there has been people where it's more been like, oh, everybody loves so-and-so. They're the best this. They're the healer. They're the whatever, you know, like mm-hmm. they're so knowledgeable. And so then that makes me mistrust myself because mm-hmm. my feelings are like, oh, I don't feel like they're for me or like, I'm not getting this right vibe. But well, everybody's, you know, says this is the person or they know their stuff or the whatever. Mm. So then I allow myself to trust them and then feeling like that bit of like something doesn't feel right here. And then it right. it is, a, it's a really challenging space to be in. Cause like, okay, let me open myself up and then feeling like manipulated in some way that like, yeah. Or, yeah like where this woman is trying to like, okay, I'm ready to work on this thing. And then yeah. they're taking you down on some other crazy path.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Which thank God I did not follow her down. So You're special. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just I'm grounded in some real deep shit here. So I'm I'm good. But, you know, yeah, I'm human. So, you know, I have things that I'm working on, but I'm not going to like join a cult. You know what I mean? Yeah,
0: totally. Okay. so you called yourself into being a
1: spiritual teacher. I was called into. Yeah. And then that kind of like took off my career, kind of took off like a wildfire which is evidence of, like, I remember letting people know that what I was doing and everyone was just like, well, we know that. Or we knew that. Like, everyone knew who I was before I knew who I was. So
0: even through all the years of, like, abuse, alcohol or alcohol and drug abuse even and then, stuff and all of the pain, like, everybody, like, it
1: was just... Everyone saw me that and way.
0: Also, then you're saying you were struggling with all of that for years, but you apparently were still reading all these books. So, like, we're saying, oh, you're a junkie for years and this, but, like, you are doing, like, it seems like you're still, like, trying to learn and grow and mm. see, you're seeing things in a different way, which also might have kept leading you back to the drugs if you're still
1: it's true. The like, okay, book, I get you, but no, not willing that to accept it yet. Was. Yeah, it was like that. It was, <laughs> like, little, book, was heroin again tonight? Heroin, yeah. Book, vodka. <laughs> Definitely. No, who wants to take the harder route? Like, no one, but it was much easier, ironically. Like, once I got sober and You know, and then, of course, once you're following your dharma, once you're following your bliss and following your real life, life becomes very, um, it doesn't become easy. I shouldn't say that, but it just becomes much, you go into much more flow. Yeah. So there's much less, like my life was so difficult before. And now, like, I wouldn't say that it's difficult now. It's just not. But it's it's also, um, I have demons that come with me for the ride which and they only grow as i grow which i'm grateful for because they give me the correct amount of friction and challenge and doubt that is necessary for the ingredients of going forward but everything changed when i when i surrendered to the will of my soul and just was obedient to that will and did you well you
0: definitely like said when you felt like you got that message you're like a bit of questioning it In that, as you started to then put yourself out there more and grow more, I'm a meditation guide, I'm a this. And maybe do you, you, is that something that you struggle with yourself of like, I am a spiritual guide? Mm -hmm. Like, do you find yourself, are you able to be like 1000% confident now all the time? Or do you sometimes
1: start to question yourself of who am I to say this? No, no, no. I don't have any doubts about the whole spiritual guide thing. That's not. That's not a doubt of mine. For me, if I have doubts, it's more about like luck or I have doubts or ideas about, you know, what what I get to have or I have doubts around music, you know, because I do these huge experiences now all over the world and score them with my own music. And now I'm about to write and record my new record. So there's that because I feel like the messaging is unusual there. It's not like, we don't have a Deepak Chopra that's also a Taylor Swift, you know, like we just don't have that. And so who am I and who who am I that I get to do both of these things? I think that can oh, be a big wrestle. Who am me.
0: I that I get to do this? So this sort of both.
1: I get that I get to be a spiritual teacher. There's no. Right. I don't I, I could close my eyes and fucking I am that there's no. No resistance to that whatsoever. I'm so good at that, I could do it on a day when I'm having one of the worst days of my life. I'll go up on a stage, thousands of people, and I'm still great at what I do. But when it comes to the music piece, it's been kind of challenging because it requires me to have this belief in something that's very um, opposing. You know, It's saying like, I can do both this entertainment stuff and the spiritual teacher thing. So that's been more of a that's been more of a stretch for me that I've been working with. Isn't does that mean like,
0: is that like attached to back to the like you were bringing up luck like in the who am I that I get to do both of these or like how is that going to work like what is the like actual like stroke like is it a sort of yeah I know I'm a spiritual teacher and I'm great at this how can I also make space to be a singer too? Or is it again, like how do I get to do all of these things? Yeah.
1: It's no, not even that. It's like, will people accept that I'm both? Will they think that that's, you know, cheesy? Will I get laughed at? Right. Why don't I know? uh, Like a lot of thoughts and there's a lot of thinking, which is not where love comes from. So I just divert myself right back to a space where there's no thinking When I sing, things happen. You know, I'm really, really centered there. So I think it's just harder for me to trust that I get to do that. I think that there's just been a lot of heartache in that area. And so like that's been more of like a, you know, there's like a sore romance there. And is that the thing that you most like crave or want? Maybe, but... to me, it's like, again, even as a famous singer or as a famous artist or anything that I have coming forth and that I already have acquired, to me, like being a spiritual teacher or being a philosopher, that's the underpinning of who I am. Yeah. So that can't go anywhere. Yeah, And also, I guess like I'll always sing. It doesn't matter. But right. for me, it's less about that. It's, it's more about stepping into trusting that I get to do that, which has been just so super vulnerable for me and I feel like um this year coming up is gonna be super fucking interesting because I'm now doing things very differently like I have a bandmate and I'm gonna start performing live which is different I haven't done that in a very long time
0: is that like so when you meet super interesting and super different like does that feel like again like okay, I'm going to be out performing this music. Like, what are people going to think of me? Are you able to constantly come back into like, okay, no, I know who I am. But it's like, I think as humans, we're so constantly putting ourselves into mm. the fear of gene- being judged. Or what will people mm. think if I do this, sing this, say this, do it this way? Mm. But I believe that's really like, that's what the only judge of me is me thing is that yeah. a judgment can ever only have power over us if it's something we believe to be true. And so like, so often we're so worrying with how's the mm. world going to receive me? But it's just, well, what do, what do I think about myself in mm-hmm. doing this?
1: I love it. I love what I'm doing. So yeah. I feel very good. I feel scared as one should.
0: Yeah. When um,
1: but I don't getting out of like your
0: comfort zone a little bit or nobody's going to fucking stop me. Yeah. I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah. And b- so the name of your book. Don't just don't sit just there. Don't just sit there. Yeah. And what can you talk about like the idea of that book and what, what made you feel called to write that mm. book?
1: It's fourth-way work, and fourth-way work is the work that I've been studying with my father my whole life. So fourth-way work has this idea inside of it, which is that we are underneath 44 laws that prevent us from enlightenment at all times. Like On a normal day, only when you fall in love are you like underneath less laws, and only when you're having sex are you under even less laws. And only when you're having an orgasm are you under like almost no laws and so on and so forth. But on a normal day, when you wake up in the morning, nothing is special. You're not falling in love. You're underneath 44 laws. It's actually 48, but I chose to skip four of them. Anyway, the point is, is that there's 44 that the book covers and each one is divided into laws and the book is meant to be read, but then also can be used as a study book. So you can like meet weekly and go over a law and then with a group of people see how is this law infiltrating your life? How is it corroding your life? How is it stopping you from being the badass that you actually are? And it gives you comprehensive tools, gives you homework, and it allows you to verify for yourself if that law is actually fucking with you. Because what does it matter if I tell you that there's a law that's fucking with you? Like you need to go figure it out for yourself and see if that's true.
0: And what was like, what inspired you to write that book? And are the 44 laws or the 48, the fourth way work, is that something like your father
1: created? No, no, okay, it was a but man something... named Gurdjieff. Okay. Yeah. He but... didn't create, I mean, he went and studied in the woods of like the okay. the desert uh, and with Sufi mystics and all these things and then came back and brought it and started a cult in Russia. So my father's lineage. Okay. And, you know, and there, you know Gurdjieff was a real teacher, so he has many different, students it's historically been a secret school so no one talks about fourth way work publicly i and so what i'm doing is very different and bringing it to the world is very um rebellious one that's what have you had any anything come up from that not yet and i don't i don't think i will because the way that i'm doing it is in a lot of integrity but you know What are they going to do? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, whoever they are. I mean, (laughs) yeah, what are they? (laughs) That's a secret. It's like, you're 90. (laughs) Your time has passed. (sighs) Maybe it was a secret back then. Right now, it's on the internet. (laughs) Okay, so.
0: I have all these keychains and ask which phrase you feel you most want to be reminded of right mm. now.
1: Mm. Everything is going my way. Fuck the shoulds. Mm. They're all so good. Mm. I think maybe this one. Everything is going my way. Yeah. I feel like, especially when you're just talking
0: about your new, yeah, or not new, but like, going back to music and like going maybe in a different way or whatever that like yeah yeah, with things that are coming up
1: well yeah because I think what I'm doing is very different and so like the dream is is big but it's very it's very simple and it's simple because it's just who I am you know it's not like I'm doing anything that's different I am a spiritual teacher I'm going to continue to do that I'm just also going to perform live at my experiences so that's different
0: yeah and you're allowed to do that oh, I <laughs> like exactly like we as humans you're allowed to like make up jobs and make up what you are and like just do things that make you come alive i think that we can get so stopped and oh yeah. but i don't know does anybody else do this what will it look like what is it thing it's like do what makes fuck you it. come alive
1: <laughs> i don't give a shit yeah it's like <laughs> fuck it
0: um What is something you do to raise your joy levels or like, let's say maybe you're feeling like Mm. off or like, you know, even though you love what you do and you are like, if you're having a moment of, all right, so let's be with a client or I'm about to get on stage or just something to shift your perspective or.
1: Uh, I move my body. I move my hips. I pray. I meditate. I do affirmations. I do tapping exercises. And um. I do a lot of shit, but that's like some of the main ones. Yeah. And sometimes, good, I, sometimes I'll sometimes i just stomp my feet just to get grounded.
0: Oh, stomp your feet. Yeah. That's cool. I haven't heard of that. I oh, like yeah. That. It's a good one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was yeah. like, oh, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to try that one out. <laughs> um, okay. I ask everybody. I had this like, aha, not really. And really it's like such an easy thought. But something I think we all fall into is that what is easiest for me is not always what is best for me. Right. And so I ask everyone to apply that somewhere in their life. What is easiest for me is to do this. What is mm. best for me is to do this.
1: Mm. And what's the. So just to say. For you, what is yeah. Easiest, like just what to, what to apply
0: it somehow in your life. And, you know, it can be anything from like an everyday routine or a way you're getting in your own way. Like <laughs> what's easiest for me is to do this. What's best is
1: Hmm. Wow. I don't know, because I feel like now I've learned that actually what's easiest is being super obedient and just doing exactly what my destiny calls for, which requires massive amount of structure and like massive amount of, you know, showing up and being present and all kinds of effort. And I think that the old me would have said, oh, what's easy is to like, you know, just fuck up and maybe like go drink day drink in a bar in Greenpoint. I guess that would be easiest. That sounds miserable. So like, how is that easy? Um, but I do sometimes like lustfully look at old men sitting at a, at an empty bar in Greenpoint at 1 p.m. back when I lived in Brooklyn and just being like, hmm, that,
0: that looks, looks nice." So that would be easy to just so relax everything on like,
1: pause. Zero yes. responsibilities, zero fucking commitments, like nothing. Just me, <laughs> old, ugly person at a bar whiskey. <laughs>
0: <laughs> awesome. Um, like making sure I'm like, <laughs> I did three last week where I forgot to ask one question. I'm like actually making sure to look at my paper now. All right. it's the last question, Okay. which is the name of the podcast is claim it, mm. which is because I feel that we can't really feel anything unless it's like we're claiming it for ourselves. Like our worth, our enoughness, our value, our joy isn't out there somewhere. Once I have this job, once I have the perfect relationship, once I get the record contract, whatever, yeah. you're, you're not probably going to be feeling that. Even if you have all the love in your life, you won't feel loved unless you actually feel love for yourself or mm.
1: like
0: are willing to claim it and accept it for yourself. Amen. So what are you claiming for yourself right now?
1: Uh, in 2020 or whatever? Sure. Um, I am claiming for myself radical self-love, which sounds really simple and kind of cheesy, but actually is (laughs) extraordinarily radical. It does.
0: Self-love, Yeah, it sounds so easy, but we're like in fights with ourselves all the time.
1: (laughs) Yeah, just radical self-love. No more like I don't have tolerance. I'm claiming a lack of tolerance for self-loathing.
0: I love that so necessary, and that's what I I've been selling to people a lot is like constant self compassion, which yeah. is like it's the same like radical self compassion. It's like we're so can be like oh I fucked or I did this oh I didn't you know I fell back in that pattern whatever. It's like stop beating yourself up though, and then like be compassionate, and yeah. then maybe that'll help you too then start making like being more committed to the shifts or the changes or whatever it is but we can we're so fucking hard on ourselves so hard. we make life
1: so much harder than it needs to be and we act
0: like everybody else is making it so hard it's true it's
1: us it's a waste of time (laughs) own that shit
0: (laughs) awesome thank you so much thank you so much Right. I hope you enjoyed that episode. For full show notes and links, go to YourDriologist.com slash podcast to find all things Biette, BietteSimkin.com, guided by Biette on Instagram. Her book is called Don't Just Sit There. I love that title for a meditation book. I mean, right? (laughs) It's so good. And for all things me, of course, YourDriologist.com and at YourDriologist. I love hearing from you. Let me know what you think of the episodes. Make sure to subscribe, leave a review in your podcast platform. And if you do, send me a review, screenshot it, send it to podcast at and I'll send you a little gift box with products from my shop. You know, I got the keychains, I got mugs, I got the affirmation deck. I've got all sorts of goodies and I love hearing from you and I love when you share the podcast. So make sure to leave a review, hit me up, send me a DM, and we're gonna finish off this episode with, it's a new year. Well, you could be listening to this at any time, but it's the first episode of 2020 is when this is coming out. So think about how do you want to feel in 2020? You wanna feel at peace, you wanna feel empowered, you wanna feel content. You want to feel free. You want to feel calm. You want to feel grateful. How do you want to feel this year? How do you want to feel right now? Choose it. Claim it. It's yours. Listen to you. See you. See you around. (laughs) Send me a message. See you next week or just go ahead and keep on listening. Just keep on listening to more episodes. We've got so many awesome ones. So finish this one and go catch up on all the rest. (laughs) All right. See you later.